Hello, everybody. I'm so thrilled today to be joined by Anik Simpson for this latest interview in the Lockdown Leadership Conference about making hybrid work. And Anik is an senior consultant specializing in internal communications and change communications. And so what we're going to be talking about today is all about how to handle communicating how hybrid will work in your organization. We're going to look at what inclusion really means, yeah, going beyond the stereotypes to look at how to transform that employee voice, really hearing it and turning that into action, how to build communications, whether you're an IC professional, whether you're a line manager, whether you're a colleague, that mean that you're communicating equally as effectively with people who are in the office and people who are not, and also how to how to predict and avoid the unintended consequences of decisions around hybrid working so that everybody feels included and we're not creating this two-tier society that we've been talking about in previous interviews. The Soul Led Leaders podcast is for corporate leaders who are making waves and changing the rules with their hearts, not just their heads. But they know that their secret 3am self-talk is getting in the way. Where others stress about the status quo, you're the action taker who drives the changes and making a difference and being a crusader is hardwired into your DNA. The Soul Led Leader podcast is here to help. Led by Claire Yosa, law changer, eight times author and international speaker, each episode is designed to help you to clear out the secret glass ceilings you never realized you'd put in your own way so that you can step up showing up with all of who you really are and reclaim your power to make the difference you know you are really here to make in the world with clarity, confidence and passion. Anik, I am thrilled to have you join us today. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me along. Looking forward to our conversation. Fantastic. Thank you. Now, Anik, I'd love to start with just how did you get into doing what you do? I know we've talked before and you have a very strong passion for this. Could you give us a positive history? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I've been doing internal communications for about five for, uh, yeah, about five years now. And it was a conscious effort to go into internal comms. Um, specifically because I had about three interests that kind of converged into the career that I have now. So um, my background is psychologist and psychology at UCL. Um, and when I went into the workforce um, after uni, I became quite passionate about uh, employee voice, I guess, as I know it now, but just um, creating and, and uh, creating and being part of groups that help employees to have great um, connection and communication with uh, their uh, with management so I was doing that sort of thing you know unison um, rep and unison rep and I did a bit of a um, staff consultative forums and then also my passion has been writing so I first wrote my first article when I was 10 and um, that's always kind of followed me throughout my academic and, and sort of post-academic sort of experience and so really eternal comms when I moved into it uh, was an opportunity to bring those three together so my love for understanding employees uh, sorry understanding people and their motivations uh, with a passion for writing which is obviously a core uh, skill set for for comms professionals whether internal or external and um, my desire I guess to help to bridge the gap between employees and um, and management so that's how I that's how I gravitated towards internal comms and you know I found managed to find a role and, and switch careers from my previous career working in um, the uh, care, health and care center health, health and care service so so health care service so that's how I that's where I was before and that's how I kind of moved in guided by those three sort of passions. 
That's amazing. So writing your first article at the age of 10, the communication was always going to be in your blood, wasn't it, Anique? <laughs> I think, I think, yes, I do. I think so. I remember um, I wrote a letter and said, you know, this is what I, you know, I want to be a writer. And, and I actually do as well as com, um, comms. I'm also a music journalist. So I do have that kind of journalistic uh, part of me uh, soothed, I guess, through extracurricular activities. But um, comms has allowed me to do that. And obviously, the more senior that I've got, the, the more experience I've got, and the, the higher I've moved up in the ranks, I do less of the writing now. But um, it's always helpful and when you're back against the wall and you've got to get a quick message out and to have that core skill set so yeah that's brilliant also I can imagine with a journalistic mindset running you're you must have a skill for being able to spot the story but then communicate it without the emotions yeah so I mean I'd like to think so <laughs> anyway I think one of the things that um in addition to that one of the things that I think you know, journalistic experience has given me and and there's many you know I should say for those who perhaps don't aren't as close to comms as those who work in comms there are many people from who are you know ex-journalists who are in the comms space um because it has a natural link of course but for me one of the, the key things that I bring in that I take from that experience into my comms practice is really around getting to the heart of the story and understanding what is important to the audience and putting the audience first because you know in the journal in journalism audiences is, is money and so um there's definitely a drive to uh, a very clear drive in most in many publications not for all of them very clear drive to get um to get to the heart of what the audience wants to hear or needs to hear and I think that is an important part of communications that's wonderful to hear so to start off what we want to talk about today Anique tell me talk to us talk us through with hybrid working how the employee experience is dependent on who is in control Yes, yeah, so Claire, this is a question that has um, kept me, is keeping me up at night in terms of uh, hybrid working, because I think a lot has been said over the past, what, 15, 18 months around um, <clears throat> around uh, this new awakening in the working world and the fact that we are now going to be, you know, now employees can pick and choose where they um, how they work in the organisations where they are <clears throat> and really have this power to to get back their lives from their workforce, from their employers and, and be able to make all these sorts of lovely decisions about where they work and what times they work, etc. And whilst I think, you know, the advert, the sort of the advent of the technology being delivered and being adopted by organisations, of course, as a result of lockdown has been, you know, certainly past my way past my uh, imagination and dreams in terms of you know organizations kind of getting into the 21st century I think um it's a bit there's a bit of a fallacy going around there's certainly an illusion of control in the sense of now that we are in a place where we are talking about post-pandemic although we're not necessarily post-pandemic we are thinking about what the world could look like, um, what the working world could look like uh, for the next you know, two, three, you know, five years. I think um, some employees may still be, I guess, pumped up on this thought that they can you know, shape their roles. And actually, we're seeing and so the conversation that's, that conversation is happening in the media, um, particularly, is really giving quite a bit of indication that that's not really going to be the case. So. You know, the case for returning to the office is quite strong or being made quite strongly from those that, that adhere to it. So, you know, you've got the government who've 
been encouraging us pretty much since the first lockdown was over to get back into the office. You know, there's seen a few reports around businesses that rely on commuter trade, um, doing interviews and talking about how much uh, they need workers back into the city centres, back into back into um, back to the offices. You know, you've got ongoing operational costs that some of these businesses are facing. Uh, this will drive around um, getting back to in-person collaboration, in-person relationship building, and then you know the more sinister end. You've got the micromanagement, lack of trust, and these are all kind of drivers to get people back into the office. And I think. What we are seeing in some organisations, you know, Goldman Sachs came out um, earlier this year, one as a particular example of this almost revolt and reverse of uh, the working from home spirit and remote working um, spirit, even, you know, even some going as far as said Goldman Sachs, going as far to say that hybrid working won't work for this. So the CEO came out and said hybrid working won't work. And, um, it's you know working from home remote working is something that we must get rid of right away so that's the kind of uh, I guess the language in some organizations and actually you know the CP- CIPD have come out and said um, as part of you know talking about the legality I guess and the, and the employee rights around working from home that actually post-government restrictions employees it will go back to, to, to the employees are within their rights to make it go back to what it was before so employees have to agree for you to work from home so what we're going is from this opportunity for lots of people you know for many workers not all workers but many workers who were able to work from home particularly office workers to be able to do so to almost like a reverse back to previous policies or certainly from a legal perspective reverse back to previous policies um, around working from home so the employees are the ones that have that final decision and I think um, you know examples of of where that is starting to happen is you know you've got Apple have come out and said uh, in the CEO uh, I think a couple of months ago uh, sent a note out to employees and said you know you're gonna have to return to the work Mondays Tuesdays and Thursdays some employees can work remotely twice a week um, and then employees can with their manager's approval work up to two weeks a year working from home in a, in a solid block now Apple um, let's do a bit of research Apple have been quite well known for having a anti-remote working policy which you know as a, one of the the big tech titans it probably sounds a bit strange and you know some of the methods I just read this particular quote stood by me it stood Stood, um, stuck with me in terms of the reasoning why um, Tim Cook uh, you know, and, and the leadership team want people to get into work. So he says, you know, for all that we've been able to achieve with many, us, many of us being separated, the truth is that there has been something essential missing from the past year, each other. He said video conference and calling has narrowed the distance between us, but to be sure, but there are things it simply cannot replicate. And as a result, employees pushed back with an internal email and said, you're not listening to us. The fact that you, you know, there's a massive disconnect between how you as an executive team feel about the Apple working experience and how we feel. People have been forced to quit. And actually, we feel as an employee group that we're having to choose between our family, our well-being and feeling empowered to do our best work versus being part of Apple. So you've got that very strong disconnect between employees who are saying you're not giving you know we want more control over how we work and where we work and a, a leadership team who are saying but we have to be together we want you know we want to be together that's part of our culture very much at odds <laughs> with how the employees are feeling and then you compare that to twitter where they've said hey we've made it work from home so the control is with you so if you want to come back into the office we will welcome you with open arms 
But if you want to work from home and your job allows you to do so, we are more than happy for you to work at home forever. Very different approaches. One is very specifically control to the more control to the employee, obviously, still with the caveat, if you can do your job from home and it's safe for you to do so versus you must come in because this, this is working in with each other physically is part of our culture. It's, it's why we do what we do. I love what you're saying there, Anique. And one of the reasons why I decided to set the conference up for a second year in a row for the Lockdown Leadership Conference is I was seeing exactly what you're describing, which is organisations dictating we need to reconnect in person. Therefore, you will come into the office X number of days a week, but not having a why behind it. Because what people were finding is they were just going to come in, bring their laptops and do the same emails in the office as they'd be doing at home because there's no coordination. There's no thinking. There's no strategy of what is it we actually want? We want to connect in person. Great. How many days a month or quarter do we actually need to do that to rebuild this team spirit? And how flexible could we be to accommodate everybody's needs outside of that? Rather than this diktat, as you say, the control of somebody in the committee somewhere decided X number of days a week was the right way to do it without really thinking about the humans. Because one of the things we've seen over lockdown is people's values have changed. Mm-hmm. It's yes. a really big event for values to change, you know, losing a loved one, becoming a parent, this kind of thing, graduating from university. These big life events change what's important to us. And we have a workforce where for a lot of them, their values have changed. Suddenly, four hours a day on a train, sweaty, stuffy commuting doesn't appeal anymore when they could make every school sports day and be home for dinner every night. Yes. If we want to keep our best employees and be thriving we need to really hear the employee voice on what matters to them now rather than trying to spring back to the old ways of working as though the pandemic had never happened yes and I'd love to hear from you about employee voice what is it because for a lot of us we'll think well that's trade unions and you know as a practical yes. as a manager rather than as a comms consultant as a manager how can we tap into employee voice thank well now we're on to one of my favourite topics. So um, change is one of them and employee voice is the other. So I mean, perfect for this conversation, but as well as just the time that we're in um, as, as, a, as a country, as a world. Um, so employee voice uh, definition, it's the act of involving, listening to and inviting employees to contribute their experiences, expertise and ideas, especially when it comes to decisions or that need to be made that affect them. And, you know, the concept of employee voice can be split into indirect and direct mechanisms. So in terms of how you can gather and um, facilitate employee voice. So you've got indirect, which is you know the collective bargaining with trade unions. So it's going through another party. And then you've got direct, which is all of the other ways in which employees can voice their concerns. And, and you know, so things like your uh, pulse surveys, employee engagement surveys, um, sentiment analysis on intranets and um, enterprise social networks, focus groups, exit interviews, a very uh, often untapped source of information about how and, and a way to diagnose the culture in your organisation and, and how things, how people are feeling, how things are going. Suggestion schemes, team meetings, one-to-ones, in employee forums and um, employee resource groups. So there's a whole host of um, mechanisms through which people can exercise voice. And um, so that's what it is. And I guess, you know, just to, to, to tag on to that before I get into the how is really the benefits of doing it. So why bother asking employees what they think? Well, 
you know, firstly, it's a, a key and it's been found, you know, time and time again to be a key enabler of employee engagement and also of high organizational performance. And so for anyone out there who hasn't read the Engage with Success report um, by Clark and McLeod, I recommend that you do that because it is a great tool, a great um, resource around how to engage employees and employee voice has its own chapter with, with case studies as well. It's fantastic. You've got um, employee well-being, of course, because employees are, you give them the ability to, to speak and be listened to. Well, uh, negative emotions around the working environment are likely to dissipate because they're not going to be frustrated or angry, or, or less frustrated, less angry, likely to be less frustrated, less angry. But also the sense that they're not kind of trapped in a box where they can't say anything and they can't affect change or be part of the change that's happening. And then, you know, for the organization, organization's perspective, you know, line management perspective, optimal decision making in the organization. If you're bringing together all these ideas of people, this diversity of thought that a lot of people talk about. Well, if you're if you're accessing the the in the the intelligence, the the experience, the just the ideas and life experience of the employees, you are going to have more ideas on the table to be able to test, to look through, um, to, to interrogate and, and to apply. And then employee retention, you know, fed up employees leave. And actually leaving is, is, is a type of employee voice, albeit it's not vocal in the truth, in the, I guess, the definition, um, the uh, dictionary definition, but it is a form of employee voice. And it's probably the most extreme um, version and the one that causes the biggest challenges for, for organisations. So that's kind of the case that I'm making for employee voice. Um, as to, I guess, how can... Uh, line managers managers leaders out there really tap into it so I think the the main thing really around employee voice is this intention to listen this true intention to listen I think sometimes and to listen to hear um, and to apply so one of the worst thing one of the common things that happens in organizations certainly in my experience um, that undoes a lot of the benefits of employee voice is when action isn't taken as a result and or, because it's not everything that employees say that you can action, but there isn't that explanation as to the why not, why or why not. And there isn't the, and also the feedback loop. So people, you know, it's like screaming in the wind. You tell the organization the good, good things and bad things are happening and you hear nothing, especially with that. And that's particularly true with annual surveys because, you know, sometimes they can take a full six months run from question design through to um, action planning and some you know, from you know often from the point where the survey is closed through to action planning it's radio silence about the survey so as if it didn't happen well that's just a way to that just erodes trust in the process a good way to uh, erode trust in the process and also to create yet i guess as a result of that create um uh, bad feeling i guess around amongst employees because they've taken the time to share their feedback they've taken the time to tell you what's working what isn't working and that reciprocation of i guess respect is, is not really there because you're not telling them oh we're still working on the action plans this is the next steps etc so there's 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 that there's the the closing the i call it i think I, not, I came up with it but certainly closing the feedback loop um, listening to understand and hear um, are two things that, that managers could do. And I think also um, listening regularly. So creating opportunities, not just when or before, during or after a big organisational change. Of course, it's very important at those points. 
but also listening throughout an employee's throughout employee life cycle throughout throughout the year throughout the years is so important because um it's great when you ask people's opinion about big things but often as you know the big things are far far are much rarer than the everyday um, experiences of going to work and so actually having channels whether they're digital or whether they're uh quick you know how things how how things going in your one you know as part of the one-to-ones regular one-to-ones which I've um, experienced not that regular. I mean, I'm, I'm used to having them, my personal I'm used to having them, you know, once a week, once a fortnight, but I have been in places where it's like, should we do it once a month? Is that, are you really going to be able to track how employees are feeling with that level of regularity? I think there's a question mark there. So it's it's working with the employee, whether that's on a one-to-one basis as, you know, line manager or whether it's on a team basis, so, you know, team meetings, um, whether it's an organizational basis, working at the right, right cadence that really allows you to, to regularly check up on how individual and employees and the population as a whole are doing, feeling, thinking, ideas that they might have. And then, then as I mentioned before, closing that feedback loop. So there are things that you can do um, that are low cost. Um, I said, hello, um, how, are things, how are things going at a team meeting? Suggestion boxes. Um, uh, so there's, I mean, there's, there's so many ideas, and actually, if I could just recommend another report um, that I think would be quite useful and has really practical tips for organisations, is a report by um, a, a researcher called Dr. Kevin Ruck, and a couple of other researchers as well, and it's called the Who's Listening Report, and it's aimed at leaders and internal communicators, and it has practical practical tips, case studies, um, and just and also a, a handy breakdown of the different types of listening and listening as a spectrum of activity. Um, it's called, the report's called Who's Listening? Um, and it's in conjunction with the International Association for Business Communicators as well. So if you Google that, you'll be able to find it. Or if people can find me and I can, I'd be more than happy to share the link. But yeah, that's a great place to start if you're starting on your, your listening journey, or your journey into understanding and accessing and facilitating employee voice. That's a great paper. It's one that I use regularly. Well, sounds amazing, Anik. And one of the things I love about what you're saying is that that listening, yes, it's the big stuff, but it's also the little stuff. What I'm hearing a lot from my clients and my students is I don't want to get on a tube. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. don't want to be a sardine in that confined space. And then I get to the office and because of social distancing, we don't have our team desks anymore. So it's hot desking. So I'm using a keyboard from somebody who the day before, I don't know if they even washed their hands. You know, and there isn't enough, there aren't enough cleaners in the workplace to be able to sanitize. And another big thing that's coming up for people that's now so tiny is so many of us have got used to standing desks while we've been working from home. And we don't like working sitting down anymore. We like that feeling of confidence and groundedness and being able to move our lower backs. And actually, as a yoga teacher, I know that standing for working actually boosts creativity, it boosts the flow of the cerebral spinal fluid. So to suddenly be dictated to what you're talking about, the control of you are coming in this number of days a week, the fear that triggers for the commute, the fear that triggers with hot desking, and then the frustration it will trigger with people because they don't have a setup. They've been able, you know, some people bless their hearts have been sitting on their desks with a laptop and their dressing gown in the background. Others have created (laughs) these fantastic working spaces that they wish they could now have in the office. Mm. I'm not saying we need to pander. But we need to be thinking about the big strategy and about the fine detail to meet yes. everybody's needs. Yeah. Yep, and the other yep, thing absolutely. that you 
The other thing you said there, Anik, I think is incredibly important. I want to make sure everybody listening or watching live or on the replay has caught is closing that loop, listening to hear in order to take action. Even if that action is, I'm sorry, we can't do this. And here is why, because otherwise you are breaking the psychological contract of having asked for that feedback. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's, it is really about listening. And I think, you know, and, you know, you and I have spoken about it in the lead up to this event around um, the simplicity of some of these things. I think what, doing things in the workplace, complex or the, the workplace or the, the workplace as a concept, not as a, as a location, it feels is very much like any other you know, at its very core, it's a group of people meeting together. It's a group of people coming together to work towards a common goal. And I think if we start to unpick, if we start to see it as that, a lot of these things that, you know, I'm saying that other people in the industry are saying around um, the value of listening and being heard. Diversity inclusion is another one. These all are concepts that we understand in our private and personal life. We know what it's like not to be included in things, you know, irrespective of what, uh, demographic or which groups we and you know, we align ourselves to we know what it's like to be left out we know what it's like to not be listened to as individuals as you know mothers fathers cousins sisters we you know family members friends we know what it's like and so it's it's not different in the workplace I mean I mean there it is different in the sense of the workplace cre- creates other sorts of has other angles that we don't necessarily have or other elements that we don't necessarily have in 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 our own life but at its very core it's not very different so the so the the impact of listening to someone and saying i'm creating this space whether it's a formal space with a massive survey or just sticking to the one-to-ones and having them and not using them as a space to talk about work delivery because i think that happens a lot you get a lot of that creep where it's like okay, so have you done these targets have you met these targets have you you know very much focused on the task and actually creating a space and there's nothing wrong with doing that of course but creating a space to say how are you how are things going what 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 blockers do you have or um you know just creating that space for the person to say how they feel if they want to is no different than having that in your uh, the benefit the benefits are are, this, are similar at the very core as having that in your private life, as having that in, you know, in your say private life, in your personal life, in your life outside of work. And I think for me, that's what I try to do with my practice is, is, is look at it, try to take it out of the work setting and try to get down to the nub of it. And that's what I, that's what I spend most of my time doing, my comms time doing is this is the issue in the workplace, but what's really, you know, let's take off all the layers of, commercials and, and I'm not saying those aren't important commercials and politics and all that stuff what is at the core because if you solve that often enough all that other layer of stuff fades away and actually you get to the root of the problem you solve the actual problem not the problem that is being presented to you through the lens of work I love that because I think that's that's the how I live and breathe with my clients yeah it's never the surface level symptom that was actually the issue and if we fix that it's a sticky plaster and sticky plasters fall off yeah yes and, and it doesn't mean that we have to turn into therapists as leaders but it is about understanding what is really true here what is it that you know where is the thorn that's causing the rest of the problem how can I look at fixing this deeper issue that's fantastic now, I can't believe how time has flown. Oh, <laughs> I've got one life. It's been a brilliant talking with you. 
I've got one question I really want to ask you to, to wrap up our discussion today. Sure. You and I have talked in the past about things like how to make this communication so it's inclusive, down to the practical stuff, like, you know, communication is often posters in the lifts. What about the people who aren't in the office that week who won't see the posters? There's a topic that I know is really important to you that's very, very close to my heart as well. You know, the whole, well, what is inclusion really when we're looking at hybrid working? And how can we predict and avoid the unintended consequences of the decisions that we're making? So inclusion in a hybrid working um, world environment really is around, um, I think is powered by by two things. It's an understanding and acceptance that everybody is different. And therefore, whilst you cannot, you might not as an organisation, as a leader, be able to cater to everybody's difference, you need to understand that as a result of that, there are going to be some people who will be unhappy. And so, and they will do what they need to do to make themselves happy. Sometimes they'll stay in the organisation and cause all sorts of havoc, (laughs) or sometimes they'll leave. But you need to be comfortable with that fact. And I think sometimes in some organisations, people struggle with that. Um, And and not struggle with that in terms of doing everything to make everybody happy, actually struggle with that and kind of go the opposite way and be like, well, and be coming up quite hard and say, this is the rule, this is how we're doing it, and there's that kind of command and control management style almost as a response to people pulling against pulling against and you know that apple example that i spoke about earlier is is a good example about that in where you've got um very leadership leadership very clearly saying come into work workers are saying actually no we don't want that and having a set of demands as to what they do want and that it'd be interesting to see where they land with that so that and then there's also um really thinking about so that's one of the the drivers and i think also really thinking about um, really thinking about the best way. So you've got, you know, you've got to, everybody wants to do something different. Everybody, you know, some want to do hybrid work and some want to work from home 100%, some want to come into the office and, and all sorts. And I think really it's, it's from a communication perspective, it's providing as much information in, in as many different ways to individuals to be able to make an informed decision. I think that's, that's going to be crucial. Um, I think also, uh, in terms of from a leadership communication perspective, there's the how do we create um, fairness, a sense of fairness, and sense of and you know, fairness is a key part of, of inclusion because if you know you want the inclusive environment is, is tends to be one which is equitable, so not necessarily the same for everybody, but allows everybody gives everybody the same chance, which is the difference between equality and and equity. So there's so there's that I guess conundrum. I think you know looking at fairness and how people can how managers can start to, to, to look at that well maybe we talked in length about listening to employees properly um trying to co-collaborate with employees so you know where you can get those ideas get the you know work with employees to build your new future to build your new strategy get them to be part of it as i mentioned before acknowledging employees views and that they have different views and you can say i understand that this may not um that this doesn't necessarily work for everyone but here's why it will work for us as an organization and you know people can make a decision and i think that's another thing i'd say is that as part of this kind of control command management it's the sense that people don't have free will people have free will and they can choose and it's okay you can lay everything on a table that you think they might want and they might choose something else as well and that and i think the more that as leadership and you know particularly as a comms person because you know most of the, my um 
most of the, the judgment on in terms of how successful I am is, is is whether I change people's behavior. Well, of course, I can only I can only do that to a point, you know, because people decide whether they want to change their own behavior. So I think it's, it's almost like letting go of the need to to that everybody's going to do exactly as you want them to do and feel exactly as you want them to feel. You can try as much as you can, but there is a point where people need to make their decisions and communicating for the benefit of your audience not for you and I think that's inclusive as well it's really understanding who are your employees what are they thinking and how can I then what do they what are their preferences around communication and how can I as a leader I as a communications manager professional meet them where they are because ultimately communication is in the recipient not the communicator and so that that focus is really important um, I think, you know, when you do have bad news, when you do have difficult news, it's really giving employees a chance to process the information. To give them a chance to, to think about what it is that you're telling them, whether it's, you know, you do have to come into work three days a week. Give them some time to process it, give them the opportunity to share their views, to voice their concern, concerns, their joys, you know, if they're, they're happy to come back. You know, it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> Employee voice needn't be all negative. Um, and doing and that's particularly important during times of change which you know as we know now is you know it's a constant cycle of change not least because of changing government guidelines and then telling them the why and why not behind the decision that is it, crucial to to inclusive practice from a hybrid perspective because um you know people need to understand you know we're right we're, we are rational temper traditionally at our core theoretically we are rational beings we like to you know a plus b equals c we like to have that steady flow. It helps us to understand the information. So if you where you can give those rationales. And I think one, as I say, another one, my last point, I guess, around inclusive environments in hybrid setting really is around this notion that um, you can create, and I you know, mentioned a bit earlier, but just to, to really hammer home the point that you can create the, the aim, I think, when it comes to inclusive practice, hybrid or otherwise, in hybrid working environments or otherwise, is really to create a, a, a space where people can come in and feel like I can be as much of myself as I want to be at work and still have all the opportunities that I should be able to get because of the work, that through the work that I do. And some people will grab that with both hands and rush into it head first and really be part of your environment, your working environment, your workplace, your organisation. That's fantastic. Others may be completely resistant to the sense of really breaking down those barriers between work and life, but still do a good job. And that's OK. And I think the more that we're OK with the fact that some people just don't want to share things about themselves at work, they just don't want to do any of the extra work work um, and connectivity outside of doing their job. And they think that we need as a society or as a working society should really get comfortable and be accepting of those people who feel like that because they're doing good work and they're being themselves and, and, and they should feel safe. The psychological safety is as much about catering to those people who are want to be reserved and hold things back on a personal level versus those who really want to grab all of the opportunities to be part of the working environment and and there's I don't think there's anything wrong with either and I think we we risk alienating those people who want to come into work and making them feel bad about it when actually they're doing a good job <laughs> and if they're doing a good job then that shouldn't that should be the basis on which we make judgments I guess so um 
and that you know and, and obviously in a hybrid in a working from home environment that can feel even more resistant from a management perspective because you know you can't see the person and now they're not really engaging in I don't know uh after work drinks for example after work zoom games but that that shouldn't be a reason to to think that they're doing anything wrong or, or, or untoward um it's that trust really and that trust and, and allow, allowing people to be who they are and that truly is inclusion absolutely and on friday we're going to be talking to joanna rawbone about the difference between introverts and extroverts which ties in okay. perfectly to the point you just made there anik is for a lot of us so i'm a very strong introvert although i love being on stage I get my energy through quiet time. So if you've got members of your team who previously maybe did join in with stuff outside hours and now they're not, it could just be that their introvert battery is empty, yeah? Or they don't have the wraparound childcare they used to have after school. You know, it doesn't mean they've disengaged, but we still need to have that conversation to find out if there's something wrong. But what I love about what you said there, Anique, it's without judging. So we need to go into these conversations with no assumptions, without overlaying our filters, just genuinely with curiosity, find out what is happening for that human being and whether they need us to do something to support them. Um, I couldn't agree with you more, Claire. That, that is it in a nutshell. Um, and, you know, inclusion, opening the door. Some Many people will walk in, but some won't. But keep that door open for them. And that's the that is the, the 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 challenge I think, particularly after obviously last year's civil rights um, mm. protests, global protests, is really keeping the door open for those who want to, and 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 open in the same way that it's open for everybody else who does who is who does fully engage, who are who do fully engage. I say who are you know part of the majority, who are the people that you can see. Mm. The people Absolutely. that you can see and I think that's important particularly for environments where people are working from home 100% of the time because I know you know there's a lot of uh, writing coming out around or has been for some time for a little bit of time during the pandemic about career opportunities and how they'll change because of the fact that people aren't from home and particularly in organizations where you are given the choice so it's back to control it's that it's that illusion of control potentially is that even if you say to people yes you can work hard at home so giving twitter as an example is a great example um you know people giving people control but it'd be interesting to see actually what impact that has on people's career development and career opportunities because yes as an organization you might say yes of course you could choose where you work you know deloitte have come out last week to say um pretty much similar thing work where you like but how does that translate into people's um, managers uh, assessments of that person's work assessments of their their um, culture fit and what will that mean for that person's career in the organization because you know, strategy, um, the company can say what it likes as an, as an entity but we know that line managers and, and local management is where the true power is, is is in terms of an individual employee's experience so it'd be interesting to see how that is navigated but I guess we won't see that for for years to come. <laughs> Absolutely. But in our communications, we need to be looking out for the warning signs of us getting that balance wrong. Anik, I need to wrap it up there because we could talk for days. This is so (laughs) fascinating and so important. And your passion and wisdom in this subject has shone through. Everybody who's joined us live today, thank you so much for being part of this. Everybody watching the replay or listening to the replay. Anik, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? So you can find me between Twitter and LinkedIn. On Twitter, I'm Anik underscore Simpson. So that's my A-N-N-I-Q-U-E, Simpson, as you'd expect. And um, Anik Simpson on LinkedIn as well. Those are the best places to find me. I also have a blog, um, which is anikesimpson.com. So 
just my name and <laughs> if you search for Anika I don't think there's many of us out there so <laughs> well it's been amazing to talk with you today Anik thank you so much for giving your time I cannot wait to hear what what action people go and take with what you've shared today thank you Claire thank you for the opportunity it's been great to talk to you Show notes, deep dive resources, and access to Claire's inspirational weekly soul-led leaders email is available for you at clareyosa.com forward slash soul-led leaders.